is Bad Boys and Beyond with your hosts, Mike Payton and Keith Black Trudeau. The game's over and the Pistons have won the world championship. Washington, D.C., where violence explodes every day. But America's toughest cop is pounding a new beat. Lieutenant Drebber. The police squad is back. Is this some kind of bus? Very impressive, yeah. They're ready for action. How you doing, Trooper? Ready for love. I'm lonely, I'm lost, I need someone to hold, to love. Frank. Over here. And ready for seconds in the movie that proves you can lead a cop to water, but you can't make him think. The water's over there, Frank. Starring Leslie Nielsen. I don't recall seeing your name on the guest list. Nothing to be embarrassed about. I sometimes go by my maiden name. If it's not dangerous, he's not interested. Priscilla Presley as the irrepressible Jane. Robert Goulet as Quentin Habsburg. The truth hurts, doesn't it, Habsburg? Oh, sure. Maybe not as much as jumping on a bicycle with a seat missing, but it hurts. George Kennedy as Captain Ed Hawken. Congratulations. I understand that Edna's pregnant again. Yes, and if I catch the guy who did it. And O.J. Simpson as Nordberg. Step on it. If you only see one movie this year, you ought to get out more often. The Naked Gun 2 and a half. The Smell of Fear. Give me the strongest thing you got. This is a sequel so big, they had to add another half. <laughs> Welcome back to Bad Boys and Beyond. I'm your host, Mike Payton. With me, as always, is Keith Black Trudeau. And we're covering the 1991 NBA draft. And if you couldn't tell by the opening of this show, the number one movie in America at this time during the draft was The Naked Gun Two and a Half, The Smell of Fear. Keith, uh, you and I were just uh, kind of laughing our asses off there at this trailer. These movies are still very, very funny to me. Yeah, so nostalgic, and it's still, like you said, it's still very funny. I, The Naked Gun series, one of the most underrated uh, comedy trilogies of all time. Uh, two and a half might be my favorite. I know everyone loves the original. But yeah, there's just so many great scenes, great great moments from that movie. That, that, was, that was nostalgic, I, I, I will not lie. That, I mean that that's comedy that you you just you don't you don't see anymore. Like I I hate to sound like the old man on his porch or whatever, but that slapstick uh, while still being clever and smart, it just it's just it's not around anymore. I loved it. I love those movies so much. Um, you know, even O.J. Simpson for all the horrible things that he did, he is just hilarious as Norbert. <laughs> and you get to see O.J. Simpson get the crap beat out of him every yes. movie. I mean, it's a win-win. Yes, absolutely. 
Uh, all right, 1991 NBA draft. This is going to be a good one, but uh, before we get into it, we got a little bit more to talk about. We're not going to talk about more naked gun stuff, even though I could talk about it all all day long. Uh, let's talk about what some people want to hear us talk about. The Detroit Pistons started off their preseason, and there's some takes that are just flying all over the place. There's a lot of doom and gloom going on. Um Keith, I was only able to watch one of the games. I, I, for some reason, uh, the NBA decided that you weren't allowed to watch the Pistons versus Pelicans uh, matchup unless you lived in New Orleans and had Valley Sports. But uh, I was able to watch the first game, and um, they certainly got beat up pretty good against the Knicks. But there was a lot of things I, I liked that I took away from it. Uh, what are your thoughts on both games? Yeah, I was going to say, if all you've seen was the the initial game against the Knicks, you really haven't seen the Pistons show up to play yet. Uh, yeah, the again, and I want to stress to everybody, it, it's preseason. Preseason is not about winning and losing. These games, by definition, are inherently disposable. They're just there as real fancy practices for coaches and, and players to figure out what works and what doesn't going into the season. And keep in mind, preseason is only four games now. It used to be eight. It's only four. So you only have so much time to to cram stuff in and get the results uh, and make your decisions for when the games start actually counting. Uh, the, the Knicks game was obviously terrible. Uh, they were lucky to be in the game after the first quarter, and from that point on, they just got the crap kicked out of them. Uh, but I want to say the the second game, which was the game in New Orleans, which I did, I was able to watch, fortunately. Uh, not being in the tr- Detroit area, not under the thumb of uh, Valley Sports Detroit. And I, I actually thought there was a lot of improvement. And the reason for that is, uh, if you recall uh, last week's episode, our Rick Mahorn episode, and if you haven't listened to that, uh, please go do so and then come back to this. Uh, because... In that episode, I brought up the potential for Bojan Bogdanovic to come off the bench because Marvin Bagley was simply a better fit in that starting five alongside uh, Isaiah Stewart, Sadiq Bey, Jaden Ivey, and Kate Cunningham. And in the second game in New Orleans, that's precisely what Dwayne Casey did. He started started, uh, Marvin Bagley at the four, and it actually worked really well. They had... They had chemistry that honestly surprised me. You had Bagley, great uh, natural fit as the role man. Uh, he was getting good dump off passes from Cade. Uh, fin- he had an end one dunk that he finished. Uh, you had, I want to say within the first five or six minutes, four of the five starters hit at least one three-pointer. The spacing was great. Uh, off-ball movement was great. And then Zion decided to ruin the fun by fouling out pretty much the entire starting five. So after that first eight or nine minute stretch in the first quarter, we never really got to see that five come out in the second half and finish the game. So maybe it was a fluke. Uh, maybe it was, uh, maybe this was just a one-off and it was preseason. And, you know, when the season starts, but we will be back in that starting five, but I would like to think that it gave Casey some results that uh, to think about. And also Jaden Ivey, uh, I want to make this point really quick. Uh, Jaden Ivey is every bit uh, the athlete that he was advertised as. Uh, Even on an NBA court against NBA players, 
nobody can really stay in front of him in space. He's just too fast. Uh, the way he just glides around effortlessly, it doesn't even look like he's running hard, and yet he's moving quicker than everyone else on the floor. Uh, and he didn't even have a good game, mind you. He, I want to say he turned the ball over seven times, uh, didn't shoot the ball extremely well. But he got to the line, I think, nine times, hit all, hit all the free throw, and he earned every single uh, foul shot. He was getting by people and just getting hacked at the rim because they – there was no other way to stop him. He he had one uh, and one layup off of a made basket where New Orleans scored, and then Kate Cunningham uh, saw Ivy running at full speed and just flipped it to him down the floor, and Ivy beat everybody down the floor for, for a layup and got fouled off of a made basket. That's I think that is what is going to make him special as an NBA player uh, as we see his career progress. I think that was a nice uh, sneak preview. Yeah, that was one of the things I noticed from from what I, you know, what I was able to see from that New Orleans game. It just highlights, basically. Um, and what I watched in uh, against New York, uh, I really like Jaden Ivey's game so far. And I really enjoy that he's, uh, you know, even as a rookie, so early into his career, he's he's willing to go drive the lane. He's willing to, you know, uh, take the ball to the hole. I mean, like stuff that I, I, uh, you know, everybody, every rookie would probably do, but just he just doesn't seem scared. He doesn't seem phased by by playing against NBA talent. It's just whatever to him. Um, and I really like that about his game. And that's why, you know, it's just another thing that just reminds me of John Morant. Like that's, you know, I hate I, I, I hate to keep bringing up that comparison because I don't want Pistons fans to think that. Right that he's going to be John Morant, but like there's so a lot of similarities in the, in the way that they play. And, and you could see that coming through. Um, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more Cade Cunningham. Uh, he's been kind of not shooting the ball a whole lot, uh, especially I think what he only shot the ball like four times against new Orleans or something like that. Um, you know, he's, 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 he's getting in there. He's doing stuff. He's playing, uh, playing well, rebounding, assisting. He's doing all the things that you want him to do. I just would like to see some more, but but again, it's preseason, and uh, yeah. and I mentioned on last week's episode that I've never really watched preseason basketball. I, I'm normally, as I cover the Lions, I I normally will watch preseason football. That's the only preseason I get in. Uh, but I know that those games don't really matter, and and most often they're not showing you anything. Uh, they're not. They're just kind of figuring things out and uh, figuring out, you know, lineups and stuff, uh, things of that nature. So I would assume that's what the Pistons are doing. Maybe they're just not really trying. Um, although I think there's a chance that if they don't beat the thunder, uh, on Tuesday night, that people are going to, people are going to be really like going crazy about it. Yeah. But if you think about it, the Pistons could go and four in preseason, lose every game by 20 points. But if they beat the Magic in their season opener, no one's going to care. Yeah, and everybody just, will just forget. Yeah, that's why I say when I, when I say preseason games are disposable, that's just as soon as preseason is over, everyone forgets it ever happened. It's in that respect, it's no different than football. And even though you do have the important players playing more often than you would uh, in football, uh, it is very common to see the established players, the stars per se, just kind of take a step back and let the younger players. Uh, take the reins, let them get high usage, let them kind of get used to playing against NBA talent uh, for the first time. I, I That's what Kate Cunningham seems to me. I agree. If he starts out the season and he's as passive as he's been in these first two preseason games, I'll, I'll be a little uh, disappointed. But right now, I, I to me, 
he's just acting like a veteran point guard, which is odd because he just turned 21. But he's he's acting like a, a veteran point guard, a leader. He's trying to get his teammates uh, more possessions, more shots that they definitely uh, will not get during the regular season because once the real games start, the ball's going to be in Kate's hands. He's going to be dominating it, and he's probably going to wind up taking a lot of uh, possessions away from those same guys. So it's best that they get the reps in now. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's a good, uh, that's a good thought. A lot of guys are, you know, like Kate is probably just going through the motions essentially, but, uh, and, yeah. and, and that's fine uh, at this point in time. Uh, well, all right. That's what we got for the Pistons. There's only been two games so far. Uh, before we get into it, I do want to do, throw out a quick recommendation. Keith, I know you haven't watched this yet, but on Netflix, there's a new documentary called the, uh, the redeemed, uh, redeemed team. Um, and we kind of talked about it on the Tayshawn Prince episode just a little bit, but this was a very, very good documentary. And I, it's, it's a real quick, probably hour, 20 minutes or so. I, I don't, I don't remember the exact runtime, but this was really good. Um, the it's, it gets kind of emotional in the end, especially when Doug Collins of all people, uh, comes into it. Like it's, it's a really interesting story about, um, you know, Doug Collins being on the U S basketball team and, and a horrible, horrible finish to, to their, their gold medal game against, I think it was USSR. Yeah. Um, 72. Yeah. Against the Soviet union. Yeah. And, uh, and, and they get into that a little bit and how that relates to this, this 2008 team. It's really, really great documentary. Definitely recommend you check it out. If you love basketball, I'm surprised Keith hasn't watched it yet. <laughs> yeah, I was, I'm actually looking, it's on my list. I'm looking forward to seeing it, but I had just finished off the the winning time late, or, or excuse me, the um, is it called winning? No, no, no. Winning time was HBO. The the, the Lakers documentary on Hulu, Legacy, the, the ten hour one. Legacy, that's what it's yeah. called. Yeah, I just finished off uh, watching that today. Very much uh, in the breath of the Last Dance, where it's ten one hour episodes, or just give a give give or take a few minutes, just about an hour average. I, I think it was a pretty uh, interesting look at the, the Buss family. Jerry Buss, the, the guy who purchased the Lakers in 1980, kind of set them on this path where they're kind of a modern dynasty. And look, if you're a, a, a fan of basketball history like me, you will appreciate all the the players and coaches that they bring in from all these eras. Pat Riley, uh, Magic Johnson, Kareem, Nick Van Axel, Byron Scott, Dell Harris. I could list names and go on for 20 minutes. It is a very heavily involved documentary, uh, but it is also worth it just for the, all the drama that surrounds the bus family. And I was surprised that they don't really hold back. It is, it is very much a, a family that's still kind of in a power struggle, even though Jeannie, uh, Jeannie bus definitely won that struggle. And she is the, the ironclad uh, ruler of the LA Lakers as of now. Yeah, definitely. I got to get in there and finish that myself. Um, but yes, two two good watches for you guys this weekend. After you, of course, listen to this podcast and go back and listen to the Rick Mahorn podcast if you haven't done it already. So let's get into it. The 1991 NBA draft. This was a hard draft for me to put together. I, I don't know how it went for you, Keith, but like I was... I, I spent a good hour, hour and a half last night just struggling with this thing, trying to figure out who I wanted to put where, um, especially that the top of the draft, like you would have thought it would have been a lot easier. Usually yeah. we, we have, you know, some big hall of fame talent uh, in this draft and our drafts, and it's easy to figure out who those top picks are. This one was a little bit harder. Um, did you struggle with this at all or? 
I, I will tell you what I always I look. I make my big board uh, before every week. I, I make my little draft notes, and I know who I'm aiming for for my first pick. And that's I just let the board kind of sort itself out from there. But I will agree with you. This is probably going to be the most difficult number one pick I will ever make. Uh, as long as we do this podcast, I I have my choice. Uh, I'm I am very confident in it, but I know the reaction is going to be interesting. Uh, oh, just a man. quick, uh, yep. Uh, th- this is definitely going to. <laughs> For the people that listen to us, this is going to be a little controversial. Oh, All right, so okay. the, the the 1991 NBA draft. Just a few notes. Uh, this is the very this is the second season now of the the weighted lottery uh, percentage odds based on record, and it's the first one where things kind of go haywire. Where uh, Miami and Denver, the the two worst teams in the league, with the two best odds, better odds than the worst teams get today. By the way, uh, they fall all the way. They don't land a single top three pick they fall from one to two to four and five and i would argue they actually had still wound up having two of the best drafts but the the hornets uh jump all the way from the fifth spot to the first spot and they will get the first selection and what is actually a pretty thin draft class uh, i would say I, I like the value at the top but only 44 players from this draft class actually pl- appeared in at least one nba game now, by comparison, the 1990 draft that we just came uh, off of, uh, 52 players managed to play in at least one NBA game. And in the next draft that we're doing, uh, it's 48. So this is actually comparatively a, a pretty thin, I would say, uh, collection of talent, even though there are a couple of undrafted players that may go in uh, today. So without further ado, uh, acting as a general manager of the Charlotte Hornets, who hold the number one pick, I recall last week uh, or two weeks ago, you selected a point guard from Oregon State, uh, the one and only Gary Payton with your first pick. Yes. All right. So for the 91 draft, I'm going to select a point guard from Oregon. Uh, From Oregon, the Charlotte Hornets select Terrell Brandon. Whoa. At number one? At number one. Are you kidding me? And I'll tell you what. I I was going back and forth with myself for probably an hour and a half until I realized this is actually the only sane decision. I am now, at five. if you're looking at the board, if you're looking at the board, you see uh, the original number one draft pick, uh, Larry Johnson, the uh, top scorer in this draft, probably. And, and you also have a, a no doubt Hall of Famer in Dikembe Mutombo. So you're going to ask me, Keith, how could you pass up on those two for Terrell Brandon, whose name I probably have not heard until today? Yes, I am. I am. Here are my reasons. Uh, First off, uh, Terrell Brandon is way, way better than people realized. Uh, He started out, uh, originally he was drafted uh, 11th by the Cleveland Cavaliers, who already had a, a dynamic all-star point guard in Mark Price. So obviously, Brandon, he had to wait a while to, for his time to come. Uh, three, Really, three and a half years before Mark Price went down with an injury and Terrell Brandon stepped forward, and, and he played extremely well. And if you look at his statistics, as, as a career as a starter, only 17.7 assists, which is really good for a career. 
but it, it does not uh, accurately portray the context of how, just how good he was. All right, so for people that weren't around in the 90s, the, the Cavaliers in the 1990s under Mike Fratello uh, from 96, I want to say, to 98, the slowest paced team in NBA history in the shot clock era, which dates back to 1954. The slowest. The, the average NBA team eats up about uh, 95 possessions, or excuse me, 98 possessions per game. The very slowest team in the league uh, this past season uh, still played at a pace of about 95 possessions. The Cleveland Cavaliers in 1996 uh, played, at a, played at a pace of 82 possessions, a glacially ungodly slow pace, and still, still in that uh, incredibly low possession uh, tempo, Terrell Brandon was still able to put up about 20 points and seven assists per game. And this got missed by so many casual NBA fans, but not Sports Illustrated, who one year later had him as their cover man with the, quote, uh, the NBA's best point guard. And I can't I can't even disagree with that. If you look at what he was doing on a per-possession basis, uh, 33, just under 33 points, 11 assists on a per 100 possessions. You know who's never done that? Magic Johnson, Chris Paul, uh, Penny Hardaway, uh, Jason Kidd. I could go on. Uh, you, you would have to get into the Steph Curry, uh, James Harden range to get guys that were that productive on a per-possession basis. And I would argue that's because it, it's so much harder to play defense now. Look, am I saying Terrell Brandon is a Hall of Fame caliber player? No, no. But he, he is, I think, the best fit for this Hornets team. Now, if you look at this Hornets roster, and you know you're getting Alonzo Mourning next season, and you already know that for, for people that don't know, Larry Johnson and Alonzo Mourning, all-star tandem. Unfortunately, they had a falling out because Larry Johnson was getting paid more. Uh, their personalities didn't quite mesh. And it led to Alonzo Mourning saying, trade me. And Alonzo Mourning is a better player than Larry Johnson. I'm sorry, he just is. So by putting Terrell Brandon on this team, and hopefully things still pan out next year, I still get that number two pick and get Alonzo Mourning. Not only am I pairing... A what I consider the most underrated point guard of his generation, Terrell Brandon. I am pairing him with a guy in Alonzo Mourning to make that great inside-outside combo. In addition to that, I'm thinking Alonzo Mourning plays his entire career in Charlotte. I'm thinking Alonzo Mourning is the guy that gets paid. And he's happy, and the Charlotte Hornets, uh, for the only time in their franchise history, actually have a, a legit like Hornet-for-life type, a, a, a legit Hall of Famer. So these are all of my reasons for picking Terrell Brandon, number one, instead of Larry Johnson. And I love Larry Johnson, but I think with the benefit of hindsight, I think if you put Terrell Brandon on this team, pair him with, put him in a backcourt with Kendall Gill, move Muggsy Bogues to the bench. I, I love Muggsy, but he's 5'3". Right. And you draft morning next season. You you just, you find a way. Maybe you keep J.R. Reed around. I don't know. You, you find a way to fill that gap at power forward. I think the Hornets actually project better than they would be if they had drafted Larry Johnson. I rest my case. Wow. I was not at all expecting Terrell Brandon. I thought you were going to do Dikembe Mutombo. Yeah. And and how would Dikembe fit next to Alonzo Mourning? And say you had Dikembe and yeah. then next, and then the things go <laughs> as they go. And next year you have that number two pick. 
So Shaq's already off the board, and you already have Dikembe as your starting center. Um, who do you pick? Do you? Yeah, uh, do you, uh, that's a good point. I, it, it, and after Alonzo, look at the massive drop off after Alonzo Mourning. Like, who who are you picking after that? So I I, I think this is kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. I I, I would rather have Alonzo Mourning on my team than Dikembe Mutombo. And I love Dikembe, but I think Alonzo's better, and that factored into my decision. All right. Hey, I, no, no disrespect to Terrell Brandon. I, I love him. Uh, and I know Good that, uh, yeah. And I, I know that you, you know, we sort of Twitter talked about this the other day where like he was part of that Sean Kemp trade. And I yep. think that was ultimately like Cleveland's biggest downfall. Like if they wanted to bring in Kemp, that's fine. But Terrell Brandon was the one guy they needed to keep in order to make that work. And it, yeah, and I think and they it, were kind of sold on Breath and Knight being who was their their new rookie being like his right. eventual replacement. It just didn't work out. It did not. And Terrell Brandon did have a relatively short career. It was over by knee injuries, kind of ended his career by thirty one. But understand that prior to that, the the Minnesota Timberwolves had Chauncey Billups as their starting point guard when uh, Terrell Brandon went out with injury, and he played really well for them. They still let him go on on the because. They thought if Terrell Brandon came back the next season, he would be better than Chauncey Billups. Uh, Terrell Brandon at age 32 with bad knees. They still had that much faith in Terrell Brandon. That, that I think, says a lot about his quality as a player. All right. Well, uh, this has thrown everything off its axis. So uh, <laughs> let's go to the second pick, the uh, New Jersey Nets. Um, I'm going to stick to the board that I, I had here a little bit. Um, I'm not going to take Takembe Mutombo, which I think everybody thinks is what I'm going to do. Uh, I'm going to take John Crotty with the, I'm going to really just throw this thing way off. Uh, no, <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with Larry Johnson uh, with the, with the Nets. I really like the idea of pairing him up with Derek Coleman. Uh, that'd be a, a really fun uh front court there uh, uh, him Derek Coleman and uh and Sam Bowie and then your backcourt is uh it, um Mookie Blaylock and uh you you better go out and find some. oh and 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 uh, Petrovich sorry Mookie Blaylock and Petrovich and then uh you know we're not taking Kenny Anderson so we're going to give Mookie the uh we're going like to give that. Mookie the ball you know cuz he's a fine player like yeah. Let's see where this goes instead of letting him uh, get on out of here. And then we got Terry Mills off the bench. And I, I really like how this Nets team and Chris Morris too um, is a, is a decent player as well. Uh, so yeah, Larry Johnson. I really, I really like how that, the, how that goes. I think it really jumpstarts a, a Nets run um, in the early nineties there. Okay. So here's my, my elephant in the room question to you. Uh, who plays the three, who plays the four between LJ and Derek Coleman? So I would, playing the five? I would, I would put Derek Coleman at power forward and I would uh, actually, you know what? No, I think I would. Yeah. I would put Coleman at power forward and I would put Larry at small. Okay. All right. I, Cause look, Larry Johnson does play a little bit of small forward during his right. career. So that, that it is not a, this is not a, a out of left field take. No, I like that. I mean, you, you had either all offense or all defense and you chose the all offense, which is fine. Uh, I, I think that's an interesting selection. So this selection has kind of been made for me. Uh, the Sacramento Kings in their, uh, well, they're, excuse me, this, the, the Kings are drafting on behalf of the Golden State Warriors. Uh, let's 
because they do trade this pick for Mitch Richmond. So the the Golden State Warriors, who are just beyond themselves happy right now in their war room, uh, the, the Golden State Warriors are are going to draft uh, Dikembe Mutombo out of Georgetown, and oh boy, does does this uh, does this, is this a magical fit with uh, Tim Hardaway and uh, Chris Mullen that the, now two thirds of the of the run TMC team, they're still very gifted offensively, still very deficient defensively. Well, who better to bring in than one of the best rim protectors of all time, a future Hall of Famer? I don't care that he's 25. If he was 35, I'd still draft him here. Uh, Dikemi Mutombo, uh, one one of the great uh, fun defense. He's one of the few guys that made defense fun. Let, let's talk about that for a second. Just the Dikemi Mutombo didn't just uh, block your shot. He trolled you. He, right. he would wave his finger. Yep, he would come out of nowhere, block a layup, and then wave his finger at you like, "Why did you do that? You shouldn't do that again." And it was it, it made it made defense fun. It really did uh, before the NBA ban that is uh, taunting. But in any case, um, yeah, I think this is the easiest pick in the entire draft is Dikembe Mutombo at three, for the for the uh, Warriors on behalf of the Sacramento Kings. All right, I love it. It's a it's a really interesting, really interesting one. I, I so now that uh, Dikembe is not going to be a Nuggets, I got to go find uh, somebody who's gonna who's gonna work out for this team. Um, obviously, I've got two picks here, the Nuggets. Um, interestingly enough, I might I'm actually going to wind up making both of them yep. in, in today's redraft. Yep. So that's great. Uh, Nuggets do a little bit of a a little bit of a rebuild. Get back in the draft. This you'll 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 get to set their uh, agenda for the next five years. Well, since the bard has fallen this way, uh, I'm going to go ahead and take. Uh, I think another no brainer here. I'm yeah. going to go with Michigan really State's is. Steve Smith. Of course, and uh, I think him and and uh, and and, and uh, Mahmoud is a really interesting backcourt. Uh, I don't know how that with my mood being such a shooter, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. Who's going to, who's going to want the ball here. But other than that, uh, I really like how this winds up working out. Um, Steve Smith and my mood, that's a fun backcourt. That's a, that's a very high scoring in theory backcourt. I know Steve at least is going to put up some, some serious points. Uh, yeah, I think, I think, I think that really takes, uh, takes away the blow of not getting Matumbo. I think you actually get you actually kind of wind up almost. I don't know. I don't know if I'd say coming out better, but uh, you definitely got to get somebody who's going to be efficient, pretty dang efficient. Uh, so uh, we'll we'll see we'll see how it goes. Well, actually, we won't because we'll never be able to know. But uh, I think I think I like this pick, Steve Smith to the Nuggets. That's I wonder what I'm going to do with the next one. Now I think I might actually like this even more than you. Uh, pe- people forget Steve Smith came out of Michigan State. Uh, there were talk. There was a lot of talk that he would try to become a, a point guard in the NBA. That he would try to become a six eight like uh, Magic Johnson at like half speed uh, type of player. Yeah, knee injuries kind of slowed his game down to the point where that that was never allowed to happen. Uh, but at the same time, he he still didn't have the mentality of of a point guard. So for having him out there with Mahmoud, who very much was a shooting guard uh, all the way through, I, I think that's a much better pairing. Uh, that he, it looks like at first glance. So 
And and by the way, uh, Steve Smith, one of the the best shooters of his generation, to have him alongside Mike Mood. I mean, that how how much how entertaining would that be in Denver uh, if if they got it to work? All right. So I the, the the second phase of the draft sort of begins here. We we've kind of burned through all the the star quality talent in four picks. So the number five pick, the Miami Heat, uh, still very much an expansion franchise. I know we've got Glenn Rice, but we really have nothing else going on. And I am going to take a swing anyway at, I take it back. There is one more star potential player here. Uh, one Kenny Anderson out of Georgia Tech. And, and Kenny Anderson, uh, the original number two pick in this draft, uh, very, very hyped. I remember, I was very young at the time. I still remember how hyped he was coming out of Georgia Tech. These these wonderful New York street ball moves where he was just making guys look stupid with his footwork and his crossovers. Uh, kind of on the short, uh, skinny side. Never quite met that billing that he had of being one of the next great players in NBA history. But he was still really, really good. He was still, uh, he, he had some issues, Um like chemistry issues, but at his peak, he was still an all-star. He was still a guy that could uh, burn you for 35 points on any given night if he got hot. Uh, still a very talented player, had a very good career. Uh, I remember his in his late 30s or in his mid-30s uh, in 2002 when he was playing for Boston. Man, he just killed Chucky Atkins. It was, it was not a fair fight. And, you know, more than even Paul Pierce and Antoine Walker, I think Kenny Anderson was the guy that made that short series because the Pistons just had nobody that could guard him. And this was a diminished Kenny Anderson. So uh, going back to the Heat, they really don't have a point guard that I see uh, a tremendous value with. Uh, you can pair him with Glenn Rice. I, I think you've got a young, exciting team there. They'll still be bad, but you'll get to move on to next season and keep building with that. All right. Yeah, no, I like it. I, I think that's an interesting, interesting pairing. Um, I think, I think he, I don't know. There's a, I get a real Miami heat feeling when I, when I watch his game too. I, I, yeah. just, I, I feel like, yeah, I think he would, he would really fit in well with, with what the heaters are, are doing down there. Maybe they don't have to go get Tim Hardaway down the line. Um, Cause they've got their guy, but if that team still winds up together the way that it yeah. does, um, but yeah, no, I like that. And, uh, I've got the Dallas Mavericks and I originally had Kenny Anderson go into the Mavericks and I had Terrell Brandon with the heat. Uh, but you, you, you threw a huge wrench in all of that when you, <laughs> you took my fifth pick with your number one pick. So, uh, for Dallas, um, <clears throat> let's see what we got here. I, now I, I have two considerations as to what I want to do. Um, but that backcourt, I'm looking at it now. It's Derek Harper and Rolando Blackman. Blackman's got, uh, I think this might be his last season in Dallas before he heads to New York, if I'm not mistaken. I believe it is. Yes. It, Are you talking about Rolando or Derek Harper? Yeah. Rolando, uh, is good. Yeah. I think Rolando, yes. Derek Harper has a few more years of purgatory. Yeah. Uh, before he heads to New York. So I could do one thing that would be kind of crazy. And I've known to be crazy every now and again. You know what? I think I'm going to do it. I am okay. going. What? No, hit me. What... Hit, hit, hit you. Hit you. I am going to select uh, Daryl Armstrong. Ooh. 
Oh, interesting. Daryl Armstrong to the Mavericks. Uh, it wasn't my original pick, uh, but I really, you know, here's the guy that went, went undrafted, um, you know, spent a couple of years overseas and all that before he finally shows up. And then in, in, in his thirties, he has this run in Orlando where he's like the most improved player in the league. He's getting, you know, 16 points a game. He, he's, he's just a, a baller. And I think that, you know, you bring him over a little bit earlier, you work on his game and, uh, and he, he can get there faster. It's, it's weird that, you know, he doesn't really actually uh, play meaningful games or, 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 you know, uh, uh, minutes until he's 28 years old. Um, it, it's such a weird career for, for Daryl Armstrong, but once he shows up, once he gets going, he's a really serviceable maybe even a little bit better than serviceable shooting guard. Um, and I think that he could, he could uh, spend a year under the tutelage of Rolando Blackman uh, and, and fat lever and, you know, and maybe, uh, and Derek Harper, obviously, and maybe, you know, coming out of next year when, when Rolando leaves, he could be uh, an instant starter and, um, and maybe he can kind of get to that production early. I don't know. Maybe I took this guy too early. What do you think? Well, I, I will say this, the, the Mavericks, and I said this a couple of weeks ago in our previous redraft, the Mavericks going into the 90s are are terrible. They are one of the worst, if not the worst, franchise in NBA history for one decade. And, yeah, it doesn't really matter. If Michael Jordan in his prime was on the board with the sixth pick, he would not. He would still not make them good. They, that's how bad this Dallas Mavericks roster and franchise is. So if you can't be good, what's the saying? If you can't be good, at least be entertaining. And Daryl Armstrong is nothing. He is nothing if not entertaining. Uh, one, one most improved player and six man of the in the same season. Uh, just this uh, bionic, uh, this like 5'11 bionic man where he was so small, but yet he could jump so high. He was just a great athlete. Uh, one of the greatest motors I've ever seen on a point guard. Uh is he going to help the Mavericks uh, fortunes at all? No, no, <laughs> they will, they will be very terrible regardless, but I'll tell you what, he would actually make them, you know, tune in and he would actually make me tune in and watch a game. Uh, if I was around in 10 years old <laughs> in, in 1992 and in, in the, we had league pass back then in this fictional universe, I would want to see Daryl Armstrong play basketball. That That is how much fun he was uh, for being a role player. All right. So, all right, just, now just a second, off- just just a second. Remember the world when we didn't have league pass and you had to watch NBA inside stuff to get all your what's going that on was, around the league war. Oh yeah, that was I, I miss inside stuff. That was so great. Great show. I mean, it, it obviously can't happen today because it, we have YouTube. We we have our phones. We 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 can we we instantly know what what happened and even the highlights of something amazing that happened three minutes ago across the country in a game that wasn't nationally televised. Right, uh, but you know, like you said, back back in the day, uh, we didn't have that luxury. We we had to wait for NBA Inside Stuff once a week, every Saturday morning, to to really see all the amazing stuff that happened. Uh, it was just a different time for for those of us that were born after the two thousands. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves picking seventh, and they're kind of sort of being punished in hindsight for for building an expansion team that was relatively competitive. Uh, right out of the gate, but as a result, they've kind of dropped in the in the draft. They're the last expansion team to be picking, 
so the Minnesota Timberwolves with the seventh pick, they really have no future pieces right now. Uh, Pooh Richardson's not really that guy for them. Uh, so without any real star power here, uh, I am going to go with a foundational piece. I am going to draft Dale Davis. And Dale Davis, uh, as anyone in Indiana would know, uh, the the heart and soul, the big brother figure of the Indiana Pacers for the 90s. Uh, he was that that enforcer, that muscle uh, defensive type around all those uh, highly skilled uh, fundamental shooters they had. And he actually, he was kind of rewarded for it at the end of his run there, where he was named an all-star very late in his career. Uh, but what Dale Davis gives you, he's a double-double just about every night. A uh, wonderful rim protector, uh, even though this, this, his block shot numbers don't necessarily show up, but he altered a ton of them. Could play the four or the five. He, he was that type of guy that he is a culture setter. And right now in Minnesota, uh, that's exactly who I want. Uh, an expansion franchise going nowhere. I want a guy that's going to be visible in the weight room uh, six, seven days a week. He's going to be the guy that's going to be leading that culture. So that is the best I can do right now. Uh, for the Timberwolves is Dale Davis. Uh, that was that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. I, that's not who I would have gone with, but uh, but I I get it. You know, that's a foundational player, like you said, beloved, beloved in Indiana. Yeah. Um, I, I loved him in Detroit when he came here at age, you know, fifty-seven. Yeah, uh, to, to be a to be a part-time backup center. I, I still love Dale Davis because I, I did appreciate him from watching him with the Pacers all those years. I'm like, that's just, man, that, that guy would be great on the Pistons if we ever got him. And, you know, he came over for a season or, or so, and I mean, he wasn't that impactful, but when he got on the court, you still saw the old Dale, Dale Davis. I mean, he was still throwing bodies around, intimidating. Uh, very fun player for a certain type of uh, basketball fan like myself. All right. Yeah, no, I, I, I like it. I like it. Now I am glad you did it because it brings okay. me to the guy uh, who I wanted to pick at, at this next spot for the nuggets. Uh, so I took uh, Steve Smith for the team earlier, and now I'm going to take another guy who's going to score some points. This team is about to be a, a high scoring team. Um, I'm going to go with Chris Gatling mm. and, and uh, you know, Chris Gatling is kind of a forgotten player he's uh he's kind of a quiet guy you may recognize him if you if you saw him he's he always wore a headband he was you know he played for that late uh uh 90s new jersey nets team he was a he was a you know this, he was averaging like 19 points a game like he was he was legitimate uh you know scoring threat on those teams uh kind of a journeyman bounced around to a lot of different teams probably shouldn't have he's he kind of reminds me of Tobias Harris a little bit like you wonder why does this guy keep getting traded like it doesn't make any sense he's a he's a good he's a good player why isn't anybody keeping him uh you know that's not really a problem for Tobias anymore but it was there for a minute where he kept getting traded over and over again but I think Chris Gatling and then uh Steve Smith together on this team plus Mahmoud man that is a fun fun basketball team uh you know, it's going to rely a little bit on Chris kind of finding his game, which he didn't till really the end of his Warriors run in like 95. Uh, he's going to have to find it a little bit early. Uh, but yeah, I really like where, where this could go. Chris Gatling. Yeah, uh, 
the only NBA player, to my knowledge, to play his career with a metal plate in his head. Uh, uh, if, if people are wondering, if people look up the images of Chris Gatling, he has kind of the the bald head and kind of a scar, and that's that's, that's really why it's he suffered from a, a tragic fall from a or a car accident. Uh, but, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Chris Gatling, uh, maybe not the defensive player Dale Davis was, but a much better offensive player. Also, yeah, an all-star in his own right. Uh, very good at producing points in his day. Yeah, I, I actually, if, if I had this pick, I would have made the exact same pick. Uh, this, this, I really like this trio you put together with yes. uh, Mahmoud and Steve Smith and Chris Gatlin. It's a fun. Uh, I don't know how I don't know how many wins, but they will definitely be fun. That's uh, another so, league pass team right there. Yeah, it, yeah, it honestly is. Uh, maybe not this year, but like in a year or two, yeah, they probably would be. Um, so by chance, you know how the Nuggets moved back into the lottery? They they had the they had the nineteenth pick originally, uh, by virtue of another trade, but they moved up from nineteen to eight, uh, by giving up Michael Adams. All to right, the, uh, Washington to the Washington Bullets. That that's that's how they moved up eleven spots. They 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 gave up the uh, one of my favorite uh, players, the five ten three point uh, gunner. And it was actually really good for Washington. I think it was a good trade for both teams. All right, so uh, at number nine, I had the Atlanta Hawks, and the Atlanta Hawks missing the playoffs for the first time in a very long time. Uh, they they've got Dominique coming back. Uh, Moses Malone has been jettisoned. They still have Kevin Willis, so they've still got they they've got the pieces uh, to be an effective playoff. Well, no, excuse me, the ninety one draft. No, they weren't. They, they did make the playoffs this year. They will miss the playoffs next year. I'm sorry. They moved. They actually traded into this pick. In any case, um, the Atlanta Hawks have a problem at, at center, and they have I, – I don't really love their guard options either, but they do have a talented team. Uh, so because I don't really see a point guard I love for them uh, at this pick, I am going to go – I'm going to take a gamble on talent because that's what you do when you have a, a team with two high quality veterans. You 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 try you try to win now as opposed to building for the future. So, uh, with the number nine pick, the Atlanta Hawks select uh, Brian Williams, later to be known as Bison Daley, and the the tragic story of Bison Daley, uh, pretty well known at this point, uh, suffers from uh, depression a lot of his career. Uh, he never really finds the right fit. He He's in Orlando when the Orlando gets Shaq. <laughs> so he has to move on. Then he's with Denver and Denver has Dikemi Mutombo. So he's not really a fit there. He he just bounces around from team to team, not not really finding a home. And he spends the rest of his, uh, the end of his career in Detroit, people remember, as one of the first big uh, free agent, big money free agency acquisitions in Pistons history. And while he doesn't really perform as well as his contract would have let you believe I, he was still a very talented player like the the problem with with bison daily was never his talent he could absolutely score in a, a ton of ways uh he had mid-range he could put the ball on the floor he was big strong uh had great footwork in the post he was left-handed which never hurts and yeah i i would Actually, roll the dice here and hope maybe he enjoys playing with with uh, Kevin Willis and Dominique Wilkins. And there's really no one to stop him from moving into that center spot right away. So, 
I at this point it, it is a roll of the dice, I admit, but I am I'm hoping uh that uh, Bison Daly enjoys basketball more in Atlanta than he did in the stops that he actually had in during his career because man, what a player. Uh if, if he could ever get it together. Yeah, and I loved I loved Bison Daly when he showed up to Detroit. Like uh he kind of felt like in that early year, I think that first year that he was in Detroit, he was it was like, oh man, we got another star player here. Do we got another guy that's going to be a, a a big time a player on this team? And and unfortunately, you know, it just he just didn't want to play basketball anymore. Yeah, it's just but, as simple as that. And, and here's the thing: you still saw glimpses. Like I I could rattle off several games where he was the most dominant player on the floor. He was just that when he, when his talent showed, like he was really that good. But there were so many games where, like you said, he would come in, he would commit two stupid fouls in the first three minutes of the game, come in in the second quarter, commit a third, and he'd finish the game with two points, three rebounds, and five fouls. And it's like he didn't even want to be on the court that day. And there was a lot of games like that. But, right. man, if I and I keep saying this, but he had the talent to be one of the really, really good players. Without question. Yeah, without question. It's it's a sad story what, what happened to him. And obviously, Bison Daly is a future episode for sure. Um, mm-hmm. I, there's definitely a lot to talk about uh, with him. Um, all right. With the uh, the 10th pick, I, I'm the Magic. And I feel like I'm going to sort of change the course of history a little bit with this pick. Really? Uh, I think so. Maybe a little bit. Um, you you might. you might. I think there's a lot of talk that says that I'm not really changing the course. But we'll, we'll see. Uh, I'm gonna go with Billy Owens. Okay. And what I'm what what's come to mind here is like Billy is kind of a power forward. You get Billy. Do you need Horace Grant later? Um, I don't. I don't know. Like it's there's similar players statistically. There's similar players. Um, I think you know Horace is a little bit better of a rebounder and probably defender as well. But uh, I, I don't know Billy Owens, Shaq. Penny, Nick Anderson. I think that's a pretty good team. Billy, early in his career during this time, you know, he was like a 14, 15 points a game type of player. Like he was pretty good until he started to uh, to really trend downwards and, and then end his career with the Detroit Pistons um, in 2001. But uh, Billy Owens, not a probably not a future episode, by the way. Um, definitely not. Definitely not. Yeah. But no, I, I, I like I like the fit here. But I wonder if if it cancels out the Horace Grant tra- uh, uh, pickup later. Yeah, I don't think you have any that. Um, Bill, Billy Owens, uh, Bill, uh, in the same breath as Scottie Pippen, uh, he was really the other like high upside guy alongside Kenny Anderson that was built on coming into this draft. That's why the Golden State Warriors gave up, you know, Mitch Richmond of all people to get him. Uh, he drew a lot of comparisons to Scottie Pippen, who was really good at just about everything. And that's how a lot of people saw Billy Owens because Billy Owens could, you know, he could play defense, he could shoot, uh, steal, pass, you know, rebound, whatever you needed them. But the problem is that while Scottie Pippen was really good, great at everything, Billy Owens was just good at everything. He was kind of the jack of all trades, master of none. And in the injury, look, injuries kind of derailed his career before he had a chance to get it going. But even at his peak, he was a guy that could get you 15, 16 points, seven or eight rebounds, and four or five assists. Like, he was a really good passer and good ball handler. So I'm not saying he wasn't a worthwhile player to have. I mean, I think he's tremendous value with the 10th pick. But do I see him in in four, uh, yeah, what, four years from now, 
prompting the Orlando Magic to say, we don't need Horace Grant. We have Billy Owens. I, I can't go that far. So I, I think you're actually safe with this pick. I, I think he might actually, you know, given how thin, people forget that 95 Magic team had a really thin bench, uh, that Shaq Penny team. Like, that was kind of one of their downfalls. I think Billy Owens would be fantastic if you could keep him healthy. He would be a wonderful bench player because he's like the ultimate utility guy. You know, wherever you're struggling, just plug him in, and then he'll he'll fix the leak. So I I, I have more respect for Billy Owens than I think than most people because a lot of people – see him as a, as a top three pick and they, they see him as a bust. I don't think, I don't, I wouldn't go that far. I just yeah. think maybe we expected a little too much out of him. You know, the interesting thing about Billy is he, he played power forward, small forward and shooting guard during his yeah. NBA career. That is. Yeah. Like I said, he could, interesting. He like, <laughs> like he was like a, a very, very poor man's version of Scotty Pippen. He really was like, he could play multiple positions, do just about everything. He just wasn't really, really good at anything. And in the, in the NBA, when you don't have a definite strength, it's something you do better than just about anybody else. It's really hard to make an impression and, and have a great career. Right. All right. So uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers uh, with the 11th pick. And the Cavaliers actually did miss the playoffs this season. And But that was mostly because of injuries. They still have Mark Price, Brad Doherty, Larry Nance. They are going to bounce back and bounce back in a big way this season. They will be one of the best teams in the NBA this come this 91-92 season. And so really they're trying to win a championship. And once again, uh, just like with Atlanta, I, I'm looking to for a player to help them win now with, rather than someone that would develop uh, down the road. And to me, I, I think there's a very clear answer here, and that's Bobby Phils. Uh Bobby Phils. Uh, another tragic story in NBA history uh, di died tragically, uh, I want to say later on in his career, 98, 99, something like that. And But people forget, like he played on those same very slow-paced Cavs teams as Terrell Brandon, which I've already established, the slowest team of all time. And he was still giving, giving double-digit numbers. Like He was a very, very good, um, I want to almost say, I would almost call him a three and D shooting guard, like one of those prototypes. Uh, wasn't a high volume three point shooter, but still a very good shooter. And really, the the hole that the Cleveland Cavaliers have right now, uh, in 1991, 92, that it, it's really that that two guard spot next to Mark Price, because Ron Harper is no longer there. And if Bobby Phils, I don't know if he would be able to compete for that spot, that starting spot right away as a rookie. But man, if he could just come in and, and be like a fraction of the player that he would develop at later on like he would be just a perfect role player for this team just just like a perfect fit starter with all that inside play like him and mark price uh taking pot shots from the perimeter and he was a really bobby phils was a really good defender too i actually i'm talking myself into this pick more than i thought i would need to uh but yeah bobby phils i i think and again because he died so young we kind of forget uh who he is, but he is still uh, to this day the only number that's retired in Charlotte. Uh, yeah, I, I I'm very happy with this pick, uh, Bobby Phils uh, to the Cavs at number eleven. All right, yeah, no, I I like it. it absolutely a uh, oh, just a tragic tragic story that that happened. That that uh, yeah, just a lot of lessons to be learned from from that one. Um, just. Be smart out there, people. 
but yes. Um, yeah, I liked Bobby Phils a lot. Uh, I got the Knicks. And, oh, I have somebody who I originally had on my board, <clears throat> but is still available. But after I go back and I look at this again, um, I was considering taking a two guard, but then I look at the I look at the team again and I see John Starks, I see Gerald Wilkins, um, and I think, and I and then you know I think it, it, they they're pretty set uh, uh, yeah. in that backcourt right now. Plus they got Mark Jackson at the point, um, you know, and they're not going to take Greg Anthony with this pick. Uh, and then I was considering, how about a small forward? Uh, the X Man Xavier McDaniel's on his team, but he's going to be gone next year. Like this is just he gets traded here, like at the end of at the trade deadline, essentially, and plays like the last, you know, however many games with the Knicks that season, and then he hits free agency. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and select a small forward. I'm going to take um, star of uh, of Eddie, and um, he got game. And Vanessa Williams' ex-husband, Rick Fox, to come to New York. Uh, you know, people always think about Rick Fox as like the Lakers, uh, Rick Fox, you know, guy off the bench. But, it, you know, in near the end of his Boston career, he was, he was you know, he was a bucket a little bit. Uh, yeah. He wasn't, he wasn't that like the greatest player, but he, he could get you at 14 points a game. Um, and I think, I think that really would help this Knicks team. Uh, in the middle of their their lineup, there, him and Anthony Mason um, could make a nice little duo. Though uh, I, I'm interested, or him and Charles Oakley, depending on what the lineup looks like with Rick Fox there. But yeah, I, I, I like Rick Fox in New York, and then him and Spike Lee could make more movies together. And there you go. Yeah, Rick Fox. I, I wouldn't call him a three and D forward <clears throat> because he just wasn't that great of a three point shooter. He could shoot a little bit. But like he he just wasn't that great percentage wise. Uh, he it's not like he was a pure shooter. He did it just as a function of that's what his role was. But yeah, like you're exactly right. Uh, on a very terrible Boston team, he could give you 15, 16 points a game. But I'll tell you what, he he started that first year. He moved to L.A. He started uh, in the same lineup with Shaq and Eddie Jones, and he was still averaging double figures. He was still getting 12, 13 points a game. So I, I wouldn't sell him short. I, I do like this pick because really all we have right now is role players. And for the Knicks, they they do kind of – I don't want to say they have a hole at the small forward spot, but they they do like need an infusion of youth uh, and energy, and I think Rick Fox brings both of those. Will, will it help them get past the Bulls in that, that epic series they're about to have in 92? Uh, I, I don't think so. I can't see Rick Fox swinging a, a playoff series with Michael Jordan in it. Uh but I, I think maybe he gives him a, you know, 1% better chance of, I don't know, maybe taking it. Out. I I don't know. Because the, the series does go to seven. So if I say he gives them a chance to take another game, that's what I'm saying. They could win the series with him. Uh, but I, I do like his fit here, uh, regardless of what the outcome actually means. So with the number 13th pick, and this is my final selection of this redraft, uh, we have the Indiana Pacers, who are just coming off the epic five-game first-round series uh, against the Celtics, where Larry Bird famously hits his head in the final game on the court, gets a concussion, comes back, and lights up the Pacers anyway in the second half, and the Cav and the uh, Celtics move on to win. That was kind of like the great, the last great moment of his uh, of Larry's playoff career, and but the. 
the Pacers kind of announced themselves to the NBA that look, this we have Chuck Person, we have Reggie Miller with this uh, fast-paced uh, shooting, very very good shooting team. We're gonna run. We're gonna beat you with three pointers. So in that respect, and originally they get Dale Davis, and obviously there's no Dale Davis on this board for them, so that's unfortunate. But they still do need that type of enforcer, and to be honest with you, I don't really see that type of player on the board. So I could take a much lesser version of that, or I can kind of try to find a, a point guard that would work well next to Reggie Miller. And whew, ooh, this is just a oof. So uh with the uh with the number 14 pick or with the number 13 pick, I am just gonna go with talent because I don't see either one of these. So I'm gonna go with Stacy Ogman out of UNLV. And man, this redraft has been just brutal to the uh to the UNLV running the great UNLV running rebels team of uh 90 and 91. And then yeah. losing to Duke kind of had a hangover. We've had Larry Johnson fall in the draft. Uh we've had uh Stacy Ogman fall all the way to 14. Uh Greg Anthony never well he's he's still out there. Uh so with the 13th pick I'll, I I will take uh Stacy Ogman and I'll I'll tell you what, Stacey Ogman, every, everybody of a certain age remembers him as a plastic man. Uh, just the way he could stretch his limbs. Uh, very much a 2-3 type, like an oversized. I mean, he was athletic as hell. He was six foot eight. Uh, he very, very good post game for a guard. Uh, could not shoot a lick outside of maybe 10, 12 feet, which obviously if you're playing guard in the NBA, that's not great. But he was so good defensively, and he was still able to manufacture points in the paint. I think he still had a really, really effective NBA career uh, until he came to Detroit and everything just came crashing down. But that's another story for another time. So, yep. So, Stacey Ogman, I don't know how he necessarily fits into this Pacers team, at least as long as Chuck Person is there because they're kind of playing the same spot in entirely different different ways. Uh, But... Yeah, for, for talent-wise, and, and look, when, when Chuck Person eventually gets moved along, you have Stacey Ogman to move right in. Like, he he could be, theoretically, he could be that Derek McKee type without them having to trade that left shrimp for it. He's kind of that that defensive utility guy. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't love this pick, but to me, it's the only honest pick I can make because everyone else is just not as good as Stacey Ogman. I'm sorry. Well, there you go. I mean, uh, and I'll tell you what, Greg Anthony is not going to get picked here at this 14th spot either. So uh, sorry to Greg Anthony. Love your uh, your coverage and and uh, everything you do on TV. <clears throat> I'm just not going to pick you. Uh, what I am going to do, and um, this is not going to be an exciting pick, people. We, we talked way back on like the 84, the 85 draft about how this team like – struggles with centers i'm picking for the sonics by the way how this mm-hmm. team could really use help at center um they actually did pick two centers this year they took uh, uh rich king and uh, uh, Mar- uh marty conlon neither neither of these guys really pan out to be much rich king has a minute he has a moment there where he's okay um but i'm gonna go with uh i'm gonna go with luke longley and oh. and i think that you know you got uh, him and Benoit Benjamin can kind of go back and forth and, and and trade that starting center spot. And I don't think that Luke Longley is going to necessarily help the Sonics 
get over the Bulls in 96. But maybe if he stays with the Sonics, he could come off the bench uh, and they could pick a better center later. But like he he's a fine, fine player, you know, nothing exciting about Luke Longley. But you could get like nine to ten points a game, and you know six to seven rebounds out of him. It's he's he's all right. He'll do. Luke Longley to the Sonics. Yeah, and I, I think Luke Longley kind of gets a bad rap in NBA history, uh, j- just because he was so visible on that 96, 97, 98, those Bulls teams. He's kind of like the joke. Like, he, and, and this is I think this is very unfair to him, but people kind of use him as a punchline. It's like you're the Luke Longley of this. Like you're this guy with all these Hall of Famers in the starting lineup, and you clearly don't belong there. But look. Uh, Luke Longley was on those those Bulls teams with Jordan and Pippen and Rodman uh, every year for for a very specific reason. They could have replaced him at any time. They could have brought back uh, Bison Dele and let him go. They didn't. Uh, the, the reason for that is Luke Longley had skills. He he was very very big, like seven two. Like he he was the type of guy that could give Shaq. Maybe he wasn't a, a defensive stopper, but he was a hard guy to move around in the post. Uh, way more skilled than people recognize, fit in beautifully with the triangle, could shoot outside uh, maybe to 12, 13, 14 feet uh, if he was left open. Uh, he look, look, I'm not going to give anybody any illusions. Uh, like, if you hadn't drafted him 14, I wouldn't have spoken up and said, oh, it's a tragedy. Look, long he didn't get picked. I, I, I'm not saying that. But I, I do want to pay a little bit of respect to Luke Longley, who I think, I, I think it's kind of tragic that he had foot injuries that ended his career almost immediately after he left Chicago because then it gave people the license to say, yeah, see, he left Chicago and he's out of the league, out of the league. But that yeah. really wasn't why it was just because he was because of injuries. So, all right. So that concludes our 1991 uh, redraft. And as I have not noticed either of us selecting for the Pistons yet, we have our ceremonial 15th pick created and the, the, the Pistons coming off that that ass kicking they, they they suffered at the hands of the Bulls in the conference finals, they they could really use a pick me up here. Uh, do you have any ideas on who would be the best fit of our remaining talent pool? I I do. Um, I actually have a guy picked. Uh, did you have a guy picked as well? Uh, uh, I I am actually still deciding. You know what? I'm going to let you decide this. <laughs> Because okay. I'm, I, I've got I've got a couple, and one of them is probably yours. So I'm going to defer to Mike Payton on this one. All right. Well, here we go. Uh, Isaiah Thomas is going to be out of the league in two years, and this team's going to select Lindsey Hunter. Um, you know, uh, what next next year, right? Uh, no, uh, draft two, after that. Years two years from now. Yeah. Um, how about a point guard that can come in and, and do some things in the interim, maybe could even be bigger uh, than expected. If he can, you know, kind of stay on the court, stay healthy. Um, I don't, I, man, I can't believe I, I didn't, I don't even know if you're going to, I don't know. You're, you're not going to believe who I'm going to pick. Go I, I'm going to take uh, Eric murder Murdoch. <laughs> No, you were absolutely right. That was not in my my final uh, two or three guys. Yes. But I, I love it nonetheless. Uh, yeah, go ahead. No, no, I, I, I'm here for this. There was a time early in Murdoch's career in Milwaukee where he was like a certifiably really good point guard who was getting like 15 points a game, seven assists. Like he was, he was a really good 
uh, player there and looked like he was going to be one of the league's, you know, I wouldn't say top tier point guards, but one of the league's middle tier guys that could, that could really uh, do some things. I mean, uh, him getting backed up to Isaiah Thomas for the first two years of his career could really give him some more tutelage. And I think that, you know, he comes along and, and and he, and he does basically what he does in his late years in Milwaukee. Um, once he leaves the Bucks, so it really kind of goes downhill. Uh, he gets injured. He, um, you know, there were two seasons where he, he, like he played nine games in one season and then 20 or 60 or excuse me, 12 games in another, and then 15 games in another. And these were, and then he's finally just ended his career in night uh, in 2000. But, um, Eric Murdoch was a was a pretty good point guard there early on in his career. Could have had a better future on a different team, maybe, and Detroit could have been that team. Um, I did have ideas about another player, but but uh, Eric Murdoch is is who I decided to go with. Yeah, I'll be honest. I actually I I hadn't thought about it, but you you're kind of selling me on it. Yeah, Eric Murdoch. Uh, yeah, very flashy player, athletic player whose career just didn't kind of work out, but you you weren't quite sure why it didn't work out. Like, is it because of the injuries? Is it because he didn't have the right fit? Is it because he just wasn't that good? I Look, he, it, looking at the rest of this uh, this this pack, you have Ike Austin, you have Greg Anthony, Mark Macon, uh, Robert Pack. I may have gone Robert Pack here. Okay. Uh, but but I'll tell you what, uh, Eric Murdoch is a perfectly fine, fine pick. I have there's no universe where I can say that it's a bad one compared to all the other players that could have been selected. So I, 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 I like kind of the home run swing here. Well, relatively, but it, it is a pretty, it is a pretty good cut at, at a player that maybe might develop uh, a little bit uh, more positively in a, in a championship type environment like the Pistons. So I, I I'm, I'm thinking he might be a, like a fan favorite, like, that that guy that's eating up like five minutes a game behind Isaiah Thomas, but you know, like when he gets in, the fans start to cheer. Yes. <laughs> well, there we go. That's the 1991 NBA draft. By the way, Ike Austin was kind of the other guy I was thinking about, but uh, but he he really doesn't. He I you know he doesn't really get very good until he gets that most improved player award. But even after that, his career kind of trends right back down. Yeah. Like. Yeah. You you I think, barely I think would he's notice very much a product of of Miami of that Miami, uh, like Alonzo Mourning, Pat Riley, Tim yeah. Hardaway time. Yeah, I, I think he was kind of a product of that uh, culture. Yep, I I I totally agree. Uh, him and Vashawn Leonard, both those guys were like had their. That's yeah, another guy that that just yeah suddenly turned into a very good player in Miami. Yeah, uh, but that's the 1991 NBA draft. Uh, we're We'll uh, have another one coming up soon in the 1992 NBA draft. That's going to be another interesting one. We're almost getting to that Shaq year, uh, which I'm I, I'm getting excited about. And then, of course, we're almost getting to that. Uh, to, well, actually, excuse me, never mind. 1992 is the Shaq year. I don't know why. Yeah, I, yeah what am I thinking? <laughs> uh, uh, yes. Yeah, so next next week we got Shaq, Alonzo Morning. Not next week. Next time we got Shaq, Alonzo Morning, Christian Leitner, Jim Jackson. Lafonso Ellis, Tom Gugliotta, who there's there's good there's a conversation to be had there for sure. Robert Ori, uh, Malik Seeley, or Stacy Patterson, if you like the movie Eddie. Uh here's Hubert Davis, John Barry, Oliver Miller. Man, Oliver Miller. Uh 
that's a, there's a conversation another one right there uh latrell spreewell there's this is a good this is a good draft it, it really yeah. does take a dip off like you had mentioned earlier but there's some there's some players there clarence weatherspoon there's some players there that you can that you could talk about but uh, as for our next piston that's coming up uh we are doing mr h2o alan houston uh, on our next uh, episode, there is going to be a, a lot to talk about there, especially how uh, Allen Houston exited the Detroit Pistons. There's a, there's a really interesting situation there. Um, still wish it didn't happen, but uh, yes, Allen Houston is our next our next episode, and uh, looking forward to that one. Yeah, and I'll, I'll actually have a, a personal anecdote to share that uh, that involves Allen Houston's departure. Oh, well, I look forward to hearing that. Um, anyways, uh, what do you got going on on Twitter these days, Keith? Oh, same thing as, as usual, at least until the season starts. Uh, my name is Keith Black Trudeau. I run a Twitter account under uh, at charlatan28. I run a uh, an account that's dedicated to my love of uh, all things NBA history. I uh, Recently, leading up to our redrafts, I've been doing uh, – little video uh, retrospectives of each uh, player. You can see uh, my videos on Dikemi Mutombo, Larry Johnson, Kenny Anderson, Steve Smith. I did one today as kind of a subtle hint to uh, Terrell Brandon, uh, dedicated to to his uh, wonderful talent. Uh, but if you have any really questions at all about the NBA history or just want to chat about the, the podcast or the Pistons, which is where most of my content comes from during the season, uh, I'm pretty active all the time. And you can find me on Twitter at POD underscore Peyton. Um, I uh, had my second feature with SB Nation last week where I wrote about uh, sports breakups and the psychology behind, uh, you know, how you, you feel almost like you're breaking up with your significant other when your favorite player leaves town. And Grant Hill had a lot to do with that, uh, that article. So I, I would give that a read if you're, uh, if you're, if you're into uh, psychology and things of that nature in sports and um, yeah, they had a lot of fun putting that together. Uh, obviously the lions are going on right now. I got all my lions coverage on pride Detroit.com. If you can stomach the lions at this moment, thank God it's the bye week uh, It's yeah. Things have not been going all that well. Um, but yes. And then you can find us on Twitter at bad boys beyond that's at bad boys beyond come give us a follow. Tell us who you'd like us to cover in the future. Uh, we got some big, big things coming up. Can't wait to uh, share the news with you guys. Um, really excited about some future projects coming up, especially that 1996 NBA redraft that's going to come up uh, the week of Christmas. That's our Christmas present to you. Um, but yes, follow us on there. And then like, subscribe, review, all that stuff on all your uh, your your podcast apps. And we will see you next week with Alan Houston.